Amen. Good morning. The three of you are awake. Good morning. It's not that early. Good to see you this morning. If you have a Bible or an iPad or a phone, open up to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, as has just been said, my name is Daniel. I'm the student pastor here on staff. If we've not met, uh, it's good to meet you. Uh, I'm glad and happy to be preaching here on what my friends and I uh, call Student Pastors Sunday, um, which one person got that joke. Um, excited to be here with you in lieu of Ronnie. And, uh, you know, I want to say this. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. Um, it is a tremendous honor to serve on a staff with a pastor in Ronnie Marriott who values young people and values putting young people into places of service where they can use their gifts now and not just kind of put us in the incubator for later. Case in point, uh, I did a little math. Math is not my strong suit. Use calculator. Uh, on this stage, the average age today of people serving was 22 years old, leading us in worship, which is unheard of, okay? That's, that's incredible. And by the way, Michael's the old guy. So usually um, that, that happens every Sunday. We've got a young staff here leading, getting to use their, their gifts and talents. Furthermore, lay people, we've got over 20 teenagers who are given opportunities right now to serve in children's ministry, in worship ministry, in uh, everything. In fact, all the cameras are being run by teenagers. I, I just think that that's a really, really cool thing uh, to have a church that not only says that we value young people, but we actually put them in positions to use their gifts. Amen? Amen. So uh, this morning we're in John chapter 21. Uh, A.W. Tozer says this in the, the introduction to his book, Knowledge of the Holy. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And here's what he means when he says this, and that is this, that, that our theology, the way that we think about God, the way that we, we view God informs our actions. James, the writer in the Bible would say this, you show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. Our theology informs our action, informs how we love our family. Lots of family time this week, right? It, in, it, it informs how we treat coworkers, how we treat our bosses. It informs how we talk college students to your roommates, how you treat the people that you live with. It, it informs the way that we study, the way that we do everything unto the Lord. It, it, it informs our very being. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, this morning, I'm going to um, propose that uh, what comes to our minds when we think about God after we sin— and when we're in the midst of our guilt and our shame and our despair and our anxiety and our depression, the way that we, what comes to our mind when we think about God in those moments affects the way that we respond to the call to missional living. Now, what is missional living? Uh, this morning at 930 hour down a traditional uh, service, uh, Dr. Mullen, Steve Mullen, uh, baptized his grandson, Caleb Hill which is really awesome, right? And like, I, like tears flowing, everybody was crying. It was an awesome moment. And, and he, Dr. Mullen, uh, quoted a scripture, Matthew 28, which here at First Baptist Burleson, we are a great commission, great commandment church. 
which in short is pursuing Christ's loving people. And what that means are the first GC great commandment is this, um, sorry, first GC great commission is this, that we as a followers of Christ have been given a mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's Matthew 28, to teach, to baptize, to, to uh, make disciples of all nations. So how do we respond to that call, that missional living, when we know that we sin? I'm not really a betting man. However, I will bet that everyone in this room is a sinner, myself included, and that we make mistakes, that we are constantly fighting against a sin nature that is within our very being, that really the only way out of that is by Jesus, and yet we it's a catch-22. We, we're seeking after Jesus, but we're going to mess up from time to time. So what do we do when we know we've been saved by grace through faith? We have that assurance of salvation, and yet we've messed up. We've done something that is, is against the will of the Lord for our lives. What happens when we're in those moments and we know we're called to missional living, and yet we also are carrying the guilt and the shame associated with our sin? Well, lucky for us, John chapter 21 has something to say about this. And I want to set the scene here. So uh, John chapter 21, it's the end of the book of John. I know um, it's, it's, it's shocking, right? It's 21, it's not one. End of, end of John 21, uh, Jesus has been crucified. So Jesus has lived his life about 30 years old. He begins what is about a three-year-long mission to uh, tell the world that he has arrived, that he is the Messiah. He has followers, right? And out of those followers, he has 12 followers, uh, and, and of those 12 followers, there are three really, in, like three closer followers. So you've got 12 and then a three. And in that three, we have our second person in this story, and that is Peter. So Peter is our other character we're going to really be focusing on. And what you need to know about Peter and Jesus is that they were boys, right? They were close. They were very close. In fact, uh, Peter uh, was the one in whom Matthew um, 8, 16, 16 uh, Jesus is asking the disciples, hey, who does the people say that I am? And then he turns that to a personal question and says, hey, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And then we get this huge moment in history, right, where Jesus then returns and says, upon this, I will build my church. It's on, upon that statement of Christ as King, as Messiah, I will build my church. This is Peter, who was part of the three, the inner circle, who saw Jesus, the transfiguration of Jesus. This is Peter who was there watching Jesus be crucified. He was in the inner circle. But this is also Peter who had turned away from Jesus. He had turned away from Jesus. If you remember, they're sitting around the table. Uh, Jesus says, hey, someone who's here is going to betray me. And Peter's like, man, Jesus, you're crazy. No one's going to do that. And he said, you know, that's funny you say that because you're actually going to be one who turns on me. He says, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm Peter. Look at me. I'm awesome. And, and he says, no, in fact, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow. And lo and behold, it happens. Jesus is denied by Peter. Jesus goes to the cross. He has been killed. We come to the passage and Jesus has already been resurrected and he's begun to visit his followers who really were sitting back. They, they were following this guy who said he was a Messiah. And yes, he had told them he had to die and be raised again. But, but we know that things weren't quite clicking because that's a hard concept to wrap your brain around if you've never seen it happen before, right? And so he, he's telling his followers this. He dies and they're just kind of like, oh man, 
What do we do now? And he begins to visit them in his resurrection to show, hey, remember that thing I told you I was going to do? How I was going to conquer death? was going to raise from the, from the grave? It's happened. Here I am. You are my eyewitnesses. And, and in the midst of this, we're going to see him come to Peter. And what we're going to see first here at the, the beginning of John 21 is that in the midst of Peter's guilt and shame, where we're going to pick our story up today, we will see Peter's disposition in his sin, his disposition in turning away from the Lord. So let's turn to the scripture. John chapter 21, verse 1 says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they got out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. So we see Peter's disposition in sin. We've set it up. You know that he's turned away from the Lord. And he's on, we find him on a beach doing what he always does, right? And it's interesting, like when we, when we do something, we know we've messed up. Maybe I'm the only one, but I think more people than I do this. We, we just kind of go into this numb state from time to time where we're like, man, uh, maybe I shouldn't have lashed out in anger like that. Now I feel guilty and I'm just kind of numb to my surroundings. And so you just kind of do what feels natural to you. A little bit of information on Peter is that when he was called to be a follower of Jesus, he was actually doing his occupation, which is a fisherman. So Peter fished for a living. So we see Peter, who was called to make fishers of men, he, he, he messes up and he recluses back to what he knows best, which is fishing. So he's on the shore, probably bored. I mean, think about this. He had just spent three years of his life on like the greatest adventure ever, healing the sick, seeing blind, receive sight, growing all around the, the countryside and sharing the news of Jesus with him. He was, he was on a great adventure, right? And now that Jesus is gone, he's just sitting, twiddling his thumbs, wondering what to do. And so he looks up to his buddies and says, man, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. So they jump on the boat, cast out to the sea. What we're going to see is that this is a God moment that Jesus is getting ready to set them up for something bigger than they realize. Pick it up, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. I love this interchange. Uh, imagine you are a professional fisherman. You know what you're doing. You've cast out into the sea. And then this random hippie walks up on the beach and is like, hey, boys, which by the way, that word is actually little children. So it's, it's like, hey, little children, like you're talking to a toddler. Like, like, hey, have you caught any fish? And, and man, I would be burning so hot in that moment if I was Peter. Like, like, no, we haven't caught any fish. Clearly you can see that we've not caught any fish. And clearly you're not helping us catch any fish. So why are you asking that? It's kind of like if you were to ask a Cowboys fan how the season is going. <laughs> Thank you. Well, there's a Cowboys fan. Um, it, it's, it's a question that we know the answer to that Jesus is asking them and they're responding. And, and he's again, doing this to set them up. Verse six, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat 
and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. So picture the scene. Uh, Jesus from shore, they still don't know who he is. He says, hey, cast it to the other side of the boat. They cast the net, and then all of a sudden the net is so heavy that they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish in it. Now, in this moment, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who, side note, is John himself, he is so wrapped up in the fact that Jesus loves him, that he actually refers himself in the third person over and over and over in the Gospel of John. How cool would it be if we were wrapped up in the love of Jesus like that? If we had that kind of understanding, like I am loved by the King of the universe, who is my Savior and my Lord. So I'm just going to say, forget Daniel. I am the disciple that Jesus loved because he loves me that way. Cool side note. So, but this disciple, John, he, he, he turns to Peter and he says, it is the Lord. So, so they've cast the net. It's too heavy to, to pull in. Now, what in John's mind clued him into the fact that this was the Lord? It was this, that it's recorded in Luke chapter 5. If you want to look back, you can. I'm not going to read it. But this exact miracle had been done with these exact people at the moment when these people were called to be fishers of men, called to be followers of Jesus. Fish are not here. Jesus calls, says, cast it this way. They cast it. Net are coming. Uh, fish are coming. Nets being hauled in. So John, in his excitement, it is Jesus. That is Jesus. That, that's not some random person. That is Jesus on the shore. Let's get there as fast as possible. And then I love Peter. I love Peter because I identify with Peter. And he is an act now, think later kind of person, right? Impulsive. Anybody else like that in the room where you're going to act? There's a lot of liars in the room because there's husbands in the room. We, we act and, or we say, and then we're like, oh man, I probably shouldn't have said that or thought about it before. But what you see is Peter, he's in his swim trunks and it says he grabs his outer garment, throws the outer garment in and dives into the water. He's like, oh, that's Jesus. I got to get there as fast as possible in my excitement, in my hurriedness. I need to put some clothes on. I don't know why, but he jumps in the water with his coat on to go swim to the shore to get to Jesus as fast as possible. And then you get this irony in verse eight, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. You can like feel the tension, right? Like it would have helped to have Peter there in the boat dragging the fish, but no, he was too good for us. Jumped into the water. I also get this image of like rowing the boat back to shore and Peter's like trying to out, out hustle the boat. Maybe just me. So the, the disciples are coming in. It's about a hundred yards off. And in verse nine and following, we're gonna see Peter's position in Christ. We've seen Peter's disposition in sin. We're going to see his position in Christ. Let's pick it up in verse 9. It says this, when the disciples got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them so that Jesus, uh, 
us. And so with the fish. And now this is the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. A few really key moments just happened here in a span of a few verses. Number one, did you notice the specific type of fire that was built? Verse eight, nine, sorry. They got out of the land. They saw a charcoal fire. Why in the world, why in the world did John feel the need to tell us the kind of fire it is? Why didn't he just say, when they got out of the land, they saw a fire in place and the fish laid out on it. I'm glad you asked. If you go back to John 18, 18, you see the moment where, where Peter is following one of the disciples to go see Jesus uh, before um, the, the high priest. And I'm going to pick it up here in verse 17. You've got a servant girl. This is verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? It's, it's the servant girl who looks at him and says, hey, I know you. You are with Jesus. And what does he do? Verse 18. Uh, now the servants and officers were made, had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was out with them, standing and warming himself. So he denies Jesus in verse 18 as he's standing around a charcoal fire trying to stay warm. Only two places in Scripture a charcoal fire is ever mentioned, that specific kind of fire. John 18, 18 and John 21, 9. Why was Jesus doing these things specifically? I have no doubt. He's doing specific things to trigger the brain of Peter to know that something big is happening here. As the smell of the fire fills his nostrils, no doubt he could remember back to that night when this random servant girl calls him out on the truth and he denies Jesus. Now the very one who he had denied is standing right in front of him, cooking him breakfast. Did you catch that? So he tells him, cast it over to the sea. We know that there's 153 fish and they're pulling the fish in. They get to shore and Jesus already has breakfast on the grill. Did Jesus need anything that they had coming in? No, because he is the provider and he is good. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't hungry looking to have fish. So he's like, hey, I'm really hungry. I need these guys to get their act together, get that fish and get it in. No, he's setting things up specifically for this moment. He has fish and he's welcoming these disciples to the table says, yes, I, I'll let you be a part of that miracle. That's awesome. But maybe the, the bigger miracle is he already had the breakfast going. So they come around the table and Jesus meets their physical needs. He gives them breakfast. Again, with the end goal to show the disciples something huge and even more specifically to show Peter something huge. And I, I can't imagine what's going through Peter's brain at this point the lump in his throat waiting for, for Jesus just to tell him how it is, to tell him how it is. He had, he had every right. Jesus had every right to look Peter square in the eyes and say, hey, you remember last time I saw you? You remember that? You remember what, what you were doing and when you told me that you were gonna be faithful to me and then you weren't? And then not only that, you betrayed me, you turned on me in my biggest moment of need. I told you so. And yet we see the goodness of the Lord in Jesus Christ. Do you want to see the goodness of God in your life today? Look to Jesus. Because what we see here is he who deserved 
every kind of malice from Jesus actually has been given mercy in return. There is mercy given to him who betrayed. In this moment, Jesus is showing that God is merciful. And I want you to connect the dots here because here's the reality. Some of us, we sin and then we feel like, like, okay, so you've got the Geico commercial. I think it's Geico with the guy and the bill on the end of a fishing pole. It's like, you want a dollar? Oh, got a dollar. Uh, yeah, he's keeping it away. Like, like he's trying to set you up for something you can't have. Jesus is not out to get you. Jesus is out to save you. The reason why he left his home on high to put on flesh, the, the, the reason we celebrate the season, it's because he came to save a world from themselves, from sin, so that all may be reconciled back to God. I love how J.D. Greer says this. J.D. is the um, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He wrote a great book called Gospel. I would highly recommend it. And he has this four-part gospel prayer, and this is the first part. And he says this, In Christ, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and nothing you have done that makes him love you less. In Christ, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, but nothing you have done to make him love you less. In other words, that love meter is full. And you're not going to earn any more affection, any more love, any more care from Father, from God our Father. However, in Christ, there's nothing you have done that makes him love you less. You come just as you are to Jesus and Jesus will save you. There's nothing you have to do to make up that ground because of Jesus. It's, it's, it's confession in Jesus and belief that God raised him from the dead. It is by grace through faith, by grace, through faith that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done who, what he said he would do, and that he is coming again soon. And so we've seen Peter's disposition in his sin. We've seen Peter's position in Christ, but Jesus doesn't stop there. So what we're going to see is we're going to see Peter's purpose in Christ. Pick up verse 15. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And, he, and Peter said again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And then Jesus a third time said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Did you catch what just happened there? Remember, back to John 18, three times Jesus denies Christ before the sun rises. Verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. 
the intentional act to meet Peter exactly where he is in order to bring him to where he needs to be, to bring him back on the missional path that he had Peter. Jesus is in the business of saving people, of sanctifying us and pushing us down that road. 2020 has been uh, awful. We'll use it any adjective you want. I'll leave it blank. Uh, I, I, Ministry-wise, has been a challenge at times, trying to figure out what looks best, uh, disappointing people. If, if this may, may, I'm pulling the veil way back here. Uh, pastors don't like to disappoint people, and yet we've been put in that position to do that consistently. Not, not been a fun year whatsoever. And yet, myself, this is a confession, I've allowed that to drive the missional path that the Lord has put me on instead of the other way around. And I have to wonder if some of us in the room have committed the same act in that we lose sight of where God is taking us because of the, the rapids around us and we allow the rapids around us to then dictate where we're going rather than the destination. Does that make sense? And so in light of that, I have to wonder if there's not a better way. Let's pick it back up. Verse 20. Peter turns and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said, Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And in a very real sense, I believe that the Spirit has been working in my heart. Hey, what's that to you, what 2020 has brought? You follow me. Do the work I've put before you. Follow me in the call that I put on your life for missional living. And I hope that it's doing the same thing for you in this moment. Realizing that we serve a Savior who's so much bigger than any one year, than any one moment. That he redeems what he allows. That there is a purpose for all of this and that we will see the other side, that Jesus has big things in store for his people if we'll be faithful to him, if we will be faithful to abide in him. And so in closing, in light of that, here's your challenge for today. Reflect on God's mercy to you in 2020. First part, reflect on God's mercy to you in 2020, which is intentional because usually we like to reflect on the bad stuff right? And try like one up with each other. How about we think of the good things that the Lord has done in and around our lives in 2020. Remember what he's done and then set one tangible goal for following Christ more closely in 2021. Jesus is the way to the Father. So how can we as believers draw closer to him in 2021 so that we may look more like him and thus be closer to the Lord in the process? What are some tangible things that you can do? For some of you, it's as easy as picking a Bible, re Bible reading plan and reading it. Now, I'm not going to recommend that you go and try to find one that gets you all the way through the Bible in a month. You won't finish it. I promise you. Set realistic, tangible goals for what it looks like to be closer to Jesus. Perhaps some families in the room. This means that together you set a time aside once a week to seek Jesus together in family worship. We've got all the ideas under the sun and would love to give you those if, if you want to talk more um, 
away from the stage or away from this moment or send us an email or whatever that looks like. But the challenge is this, what does it take to get closer to Jesus in 2021? What are some disciplines and things that I can do in obedience to follow him? Open his word, pray, seek after him more, do, more fervently. Because I think if we'll do that, that at the end of 2021, we'll be able to look back and yet again, and maybe even more so than normal, say, look at what God has done. I cannot believe that he took this ragtag youth pastor from Bryan, Texas, and did this through my life. You insert your name in the blank. We're gonna close with a song. Uh, Run to the Father. And this song uh, was written this year, actually. And I think it embodies what we're talking about. Run to the Father, fall into grace. Heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, and I'll run to the Father again and again. May 2021 be a year where that is our heart cry. And so how we're going to start it off, I guess, in 2020 together in worship is by singing that in the posture of worship together so that this end of this year can be a trampoline towards what is next. Let me pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, the fact that we can trust you, that you redeem what you allow. God, that even when we mess up royally, you are still in the business of redemption, of salvation. You're still in the business of showing us your goodness, God. God, would you humble us, draw us close, closer than ever before in this next year, that we may know you in fullness and run with you, from you, with you, towards you, and take as many people along the way with this as possible. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.